Discover community, find hope, and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Eric Kuhner. Hey, I'll tell you what, can you give the, the worship team just some praise this morning? You know, when I, when I think of the worship team, when I think of this morning where we're going to be, the topic in which we're, we're going to be talking about, I, I can't help but look at what God uniquely has blended together. You know, when you look at a, at a team that stands behind you, a team that's maybe behind you or beside you, those that are back here doing the media, those that are doing uh, the, the, the work behind the scenes sometimes, but then you see the face of those that are up here. A lot of times you don't see what's happening, but there's a team that's going in. They're, they're gifted uniquely, individually. They have these unique gifts. And some are uniquely gifted to play an instrument, maybe just that one instrument, or maybe they play multiple instruments. Some are gifted to sing. Some are gifted behind the scenes in hearing and, and doing media and tech things. But we're all gifted in such a way that they're all gifted in such a way that their purpose is that they come together in a sense of unity for the aspect of bringing worship. That they're not here to perform. This is not a performance. They're not here to say, oh, look at me as I stand before you. And let me perform for you. They're not up here just to sing, but they're up here to lead into worship. As they worship, it instills in something inside of us that we want to worship. When they come into that melody, into the, to the lyrics of a song, and they're coming together, and they sit and they practice. I look at that network, I look at that team and what it takes to make something of individual talents to come together as a group and make it sound beautiful and amazing and wonderful that draws us into the presence of God. For God has instilled in them a purpose. He's given them a gift, a unique gift. Just like last week, we, we got to experience an incredible weekend at the Lairs doing Easter with 2,500 plus people that came through. But guess what? It took us as volunteers. It took you as volunteers. It took many that were behind the scenes that were there. There was uniquely gifted people that came and played a part of last weekend to make it happen. There was people that were dreaming from the very beginning of what this could look like, planning it out, what's going to go into effect to make this happen. There was a team, there was a network, there was people that were designing, how do we decorate, how do we do decor, how do we set up, and then people went and implemented it. People came and set up outside, in the snow, in the cold, in the rain, and in the mix of everything, putting signage up. Making sure in every area that there was somewhere to serve, whether you came in and somebody was there to, to greet you or somebody was outside holding a sign and said, welcome to church this morning. You belong. All these things, these aspects from the worship team to behind the, the scene with people praying and helping people lead into the baptism portion of, or helping them to understand what salvation was. There was this network. Each person was gifted uniquely to make an incredible weekend happen. And it took people and the willingness to understand that they had gifts. That we all have gifts. God has created us wonderfully and uniquely. Not that we have a gift for ourselves, but it's not for us, but it's for others. We look at this, I believe that's a pretty good illustration of what Paul is teaching about in the first part of chapter 4 of Ephesians. For the past few weeks, we've been off our Ephesians series. We're jumping back into our Ephesians series. But I believe Paul had already hinted at the idea that unity does not mean uniformity. He acknowledges the uniqueness of each person, of each of his readers. He, but his emphasis up to this point has been, about, has been about what they share in common, the spiritual blessings. And as Paul began in chapter 4, we saw his emphasis on unity with the body of Christ. And so particularly in verses 4 and 6, he stressed those things and what we have in common allow us to be unified as followers of Jesus Christ. What we do 
as a church, what we do as a body, what we do as a people is because what God has blessed us with, what God has given, the grace bestowed into our life. But in verse 7, as we get ready to jump here in just a second into our chapter, but in verse 7, his emphasis changes. Not only does Paul use the word but to introduce this contrast, he also uses the phrase each one of us. So there's this shift from the corporate to the individual, from our privileges to our responsibilities, from what God has already done for us to what he's doing through us. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, starting with verse 7, it says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives, and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So each one is gifted for a purpose. When we see that each one is gifted for a purpose, the word grace here is the word cherish, which means a spiritual trait, calling, ability, a gift. Christ makes us individually unique. So when we look at that gifted, that, that word grace, it's, the, it's something that's unmerited, something that we don't deserve. It's a gift that's given unto us. We're going to use that word there, grace as gift. Jesus d- distributes gifts as he desires. When we look at that portion, what he's saying, as Christ apportioned it, as Christ was willing to give, as Christ so desires what gifts he wants you to receive, he has given it. All as followers of Christ. Paul writes that each gift, grace, is given as Christ apportioned. In other words, we don't decide which gifts we get. Jesus determines what gifts each of us need in order to carry out God's plans for the church. He also confirmed this, Jesus confirmed this principle himself in Matthew 25, 15 with the parable of the talents. Jesus shows up, the, the master shows up, and he gives talents to five to one he gives five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. He gives according to their ability. But in this, par- in this parable, the master, obviously a picture of God, de- determines what gifts he's going to entrust to each of his servants. If you notice, he apportions those gifts based on the individual b- ability of each servant, based on who they were. He knew what they needed. He knew what they could do. But I think it's interesting to me that there's no evidence that any of the three servants had any knowledge of what his true abilities or aptitudes were. A lot of times we don't know what we're capable of. A lot of times we think we're less. A lot of times we think we can't do. But God says, I will apportion unto you what I know you can do. And I know when, when I begin to gift into your life and I begin to pour out my spirit in your life, that you can do abundantly more than you ever could imagine. Because it's me that's operating through you. It's me that's working in you. It's not you of yourself. It's not your abilities. It's not your talents. It's not all about your education or how amazing you are. It's because of what God gives and what God chooses for each one of us to have. He said each one of us. But the thing is, the master who knows his servants intimately is in a position to determine how to apportion the talents in a way that will facilitate the accomplishments of his purposes. He knows us. And he knows what gifts specifically each one of us need in our life. Paul alluded to this principle earlier in Ephesians 3, 8, and 9. He says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, 
This grace, this gift, was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this ministry, mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So in his sovereignty, God had a plan for Paul. God had given Paul a specific grace or gift to be able to preach the gospel message to the Gentiles. Paul didn't decide what that's what he was going to do. God determined that he would gift Paul with the grace he needed to carry out that the purpose of God in his life. Remember where Paul came from, where he was at when he had this encounter as Saul and this encounter that he had with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus himself that caused him to go blind. I don't think he was dreaming of one day preaching to the, to the Gentiles. I don't think he was one day dreaming of taking the gospel message. His goal was to destroy Christians. He was not on a road to, to, to preach the, to the word. He was on his road to look for somebody else. And he has this encounter, this suddenly moment with Jesus. And Christ transforms his life. He transforms his way of thinking, his understanding. And we can look at somebody as Saul, who became Paul and, his, and who he was, that God could take a man like that, who was basically a murderer of Christians, and say, I'm going to transform your life, and I'm going to use you to transform the world. That you're going to, you're going to take the gospel into places. You're going to experience things in your life that you were not expecting to experience. That I'm going to use you in greater ways than you could ever imagine. With all your education, all that you know, I'm going to transform that. And the gift I want to give you is taking the gospel to the Gentiles. We have to understand these are gifts. These are Jesus' gifts. Paul makes it clear that these gifts are not something that we earn or deserve or work for. These are not some character traits or abilities that we can develop on our own. Jesus gives us his grace as a gift. Each one has been gifted for the common good. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians twelve seven. he said, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For each, each one, each is given. Here we hear that again. Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For what has been placed in your life, God has given you a purpose. Not for yourself, but for the common good, for somebody else. You and I, each one of us has been gifted by the Spirit for the common good. It's like a housewarming gift. It's not there, it's not meant for what's in your life to be seen for everybody else, but it's meant to be the fact it's used to be a blessing to somebody else. The gifts that the Spirit gave you upon conversion aren't there to beautify your space for your sake. He brought them into your space that you might be a blessing to others with them. The specific grace that you've been giving, the meaning, the enablement of the Spirit that has been entrusted to your stewardship is for, is for others, it's not just for us. And I believe that with that thinking of that thing, this ought to put the rest, the fact that it's not about just the people in the, in the, the church that do the work of the pastors and the leaders, right? We think a lot of times, well, if, if the pastor's on staff, that's their obligation. They should do all the work. And the leaders of the church, they should do all the work. No. Because what Paul is saying here, everyone has been gifted. Everyone's been gifted in the spiritual manifestation of his spirit to receive a gift, to be servants of God, to go forth, not up for yourself, but for others. To take what God has blessed in your life and say, how can I be a part of what God is doing? How can I, can I serve better? When I, if, if, do I walk in on a Sunday morning and see a place of need and say, well, I wish somebody would fill that role. I wish they would do their job better. I wish somebody was here to do this. I wish somebody was there to do that. And maybe at that point, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and say, well, don't you step into that role. Instead of looking for somebody else to do it, to say, 
I'll do it. I'll fill a need. I'll be a part of something. A lot of times we go through life expecting for somebody else to meet the needs of somebody else when God's saying, I want you to step into that role because I've gifted you specifically, uniquely and wonderful. And I want you to be the vessel that I'm wanting to use. We've all been given that role. Paul put it this way to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, verse four through six. He said, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not have, do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Let us walk in that way in which God is the gifts of which he's given us. Let's not hold back. A lot of us are still in a place of going, identifying, oh, I don't know exactly my gifting yet. I don't know what God has gifted me for. I don't know the direction, what God is wanting me. I don't know where he exactly wants me to serve. And there's many methods in which you can do. There's many gifting methods and assessments and tests that you can go and look through. When you go through growth track, there's, there's points of understanding what giftings you have in your life, what God has gifted you to do. The thing is, a hundred different believers with the gift of teaching will not all have the same degrees or areas of teaching ability or emphasis. One may excel in public teaching and one may excel in the classroom or church. Another teaching gift will be for, uh, for maybe instructing children or youth. Another for teaching one-on-one and so on. Each believer is given the measure of grace and faith to operate his gift according to God's plan. Each one of us in the gifting, each one of what God has given us. God says, I know your ability. I know what you can do if you just lean into me and trust me. Add individual personality and background and education and influences in life and needs in the area of service. And it becomes obvious that each believer is unique. Where we come from, our background. There's some that can go into some areas and speak where I can't go, where you can't go. For some experience, what people experience in life, there's others that they can speak in their life that we may not be able to speak to. People's life choices and life experiences where you've been will allow you to speak to people where they're at. You understand what people are walking through and God has gifted you to be able to speak to that people just as as Paul was gifted to speak to the Gentiles. You may be able to speak to go in places where some other people can't go. God's choosing you and your gift to say, will you be a vessel for your neighbor? You've connected and you've built relationships. A stranger knocking on the door may not get the same effect as you knocking on their door. Because you spent time with them and you've built a relationship with them. And so now God has allowed you to be a part of a person's life that you now get to invest into them. And you get to experience and you get to pour out into their life for what God has gifted you to do. The thing is, if you're a born again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, let me say as clearly as I can, you have a spiritual gift. Because grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The question is, are you using your spiritual gift are you using what god has given you second point is this is to the victor go the spoils to the victor go the spoils so who is it that gives gifts it's jesus right jesus says earlier in the the scripture he says that he's the one who gives gifts he apportioned out he he portions our lives what we are to receive what we are to he has for us Paul says in verse 8, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. 
So Paul is loosely, this is a, a quote from, from Psalm 68, 18, here in verse 8. And he loosely is quoting, he changes some of the word at the very end. Because in, in, in Psalms, it's actually saying that he received gifts. This is, this is a reference to the king in battle. This, this Psalms is a reference to what King David, is a, it's a victory hymn composed by David to celebrate God's conquest to the Jezebite city and the triumphant ascent of God represented by the Ark of the Covenant up Mount Zion. So after a king would win such a victory, there was this parade, there, there were the spoils, right? They got to reap the rewards of what they went in in the midst of battle. They would take the spoils of battle. They would take those rewards, they would take those treasures, they would take the spoils and they would bring home the spoils and enemy prisoners parade and, and to parade them before his people. The spoils will sometimes be redistributed among the people. It wasn't just something kept for the kingdom. And many times those spoils which came in was redistributed out to others for what the king had went into battle and had won. The people got to reap. Also, an Israelite king would take kind of say he would take his victory lap through the holy city of jerusalem and up mount zion another feature of the victory parade however would be the display of the king's own soldiers who had been freed after being held prisoner by the enemy these were often referred to as recaptured captives prisoners who had been taken prisoner again so to speak by their own king and given freedom so paul is painting this picture he's painting this vivid picture in psalm 68 that say that the lord jesus christ having won the victory over sin and death the grave in hell ascended on high to the Father and presented him all the elect from whom he had won this victory. And as part of his victorious ascension, he gave spiritual gifts to believers so that they could continue his ministry in the church. We look at this and there's an amazing picture to understand. Not only this picture is painting, but what the king used to do in Old Testament times, that we, they got to, to reap the rewards. But here, our, our king, Jesus, in the midst of his battle, in the midst of his victory, the spoils that we get to benefit because of his willingness to be death on the cross, but to be life in the resurrection. The willingness to take on our sins. The willingness to, to say, I'll be your sacrifice that will change, transform your eternity. That will transform your life. We get to reap the benefits of our king from his battle in victory won. Now he's saying, I'm going to give you gifts for what I have already done for you. I've given you the gift of salvation, the greatest gift ever, the greatest thing that you could ever reap. But more than that, I want to give you more. Most people say, yes, uh, salvation is enough. But then Jesus saying, no, that's not enough. I want to give you more. Not only are you get to participate in the victory of, of my death on the cross and the resurrection, but now I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to pour out into you spiritual gifts. Now I'm going to pour into your life more and more than you could ever imagine. If you just trust me as a good father, I'm going to give good gifts into your life. I will continue to pour out onto you and into you and through you. The more that you trust me, the more that you lean into me. Verse 9 and 10, Paul clarifies and expands what it means when he writes and saying he ascended what does it mean but that he has also descended to the lower region of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things, that he might fill the universe. Maybe Paul was thinking of Christ's descent from heaven to earth with all that was involved in his incarnation, life, crucifixion, death, and burial. And of Christ's descent from earth to heaven with all that was involved in his resurrection, ascension, and presently at his father's right hand. The thing is, with what gifts he's given us, he's wanting us to take that. And he's saying, through you, 
Heaven will be filled. Through you, the universe will be filled. Through you, lives will be changed. Through you, I can do more than I could have done here walking on this earth. You have a further reach because of me and your life than I could have here being individually on this earth. And he says, I am gifting you for the purpose that I want you to take this forth and that the, that the heavens will be filled, the universe will be filled, the earth will be filled because you've played a part. Paul's point is that to explain that Jesus paying the infinite price of coming to earth and suffering death on our behalf qualified him to be exalted above all the heavens in order that he might rightfully have the authority to give gifts to his saints. By that victory, he gained the right to rule his church and to give gifts to his church that he might fill all things, that he might fill the universe. Our purpose is that no gifts go unused. No gifts go unused. So I began this morning talking about our worship team and how they all working together produce music that's pleasing and which glorifies God and brings an aspect of worship. So let me ask you this question. Which member of the worship team is the most indispensable? So you look up and say, ah, we don't need you. We don't need you. We don't need you. Right? Is that what sometimes how we look at what we're saying is which is indispensable? And there's none. The answer, of course, is none. Everybody plays a part. Every person plays a role. When we look at the church, is any role indispensable? No. Every person and every part is needed to make it important. It makes it what functions better. It makes it what makes it unique. For, in 1 Peter 4.10, Peter puts it like this. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administrating god's grace in its various forms every part is crucial what god has gifted you're saying you begin to look and say okay god how can i examine in my life how can i begin to look into my life and say god where do you want me to be used what can i do to impact the kingdom what can i do to change somebody's eternity what can i do in my community what can i do in my neighborhood what can i do in my church that God has given me a purpose, that God has, has given me grace, He has gifted me. How many of you ever probably have received, most of you in this room has probably received a gift card at some point in your life, right? Birthday card, you open up and there's a gift card. Hey, here's $10, here's $50, here's a Visa gift card, here's that. And I always look up and go, ah, I wish I had cash. Anyway, but, you know, you get this. <laughs> it's like, just give me the cash. I really don't like that restaurant. But anyway, you get these gift cards, right? <laughs> And the intent is to use the gift card, right? The purpose of the gift is that you use it. Some of us have received gifts throughout the year. Maybe you received them from your children. If you're, as a parent, you hit and wait, your kids will get you gifts. And you're like, oh, thanks, great. And you put it in a drawer as you don't even know what it's for. Uh, but you, you, you're given this gift. There's a purpose. Some of you have got the gift. You haven't used it. You've, it's sitting in your garage. It's sitting at home. It's in a drawer. It's in the closet. You have yet to use the gift. It's like a gift card. It has the intent, a purpose that God has given it to you or somebody has given it to you that you use it for the intent that it's given. Consumer reports and other researchers have said that, that annually each year, this astronomical number, of over $3 billion worth of gift cards go unused every year. $3 billion. I probably It's probably more than that. 
Some of you have gift cards right now. And you're like, oh. And then you go like, all right, man, I get to use this gift card today. And you drive through and you get in the drive through and you're Chick-fil-A and you're like, oh, and you get up and you're just like, it's expired. Oh. Sometimes Chick-fil-A will still give it to you, right? I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you didn't hear that from, but I've had that. Or you've went through a place and you pull out the gift card and it expired by a week or a month. You're like, I thought it lasted forever. And you didn't use it for the purpose that it was intended. Somebody gave you a gift and you're supposed to use it. You're supposed to reap the benefit of the gift given to you. But Paul teaches that Christ has given us spiritual gifts to each believer. And the thing is, sadly, there's so many of us, a number of Christians that have been given gifts that don't use what God has given you. What God has given us. We don't even realize it. But sometimes we know it and we still are not walking in it. But since Jesus has given us exactly the gifts he wants us to have, there's no excuse for stashing those gifts away and not use them. As Paul and Peter both make clear, when we do that, we not only cheat ourselves, but we also rob others of the benefits of our exercise of those gifts. A lot of times when you have that gift card, you get to bless somebody else. You get to take them out to eat. Same way as with that spiritual gift, that gift that's in your life. It's not so much intended for you, but for the blessing of somebody else that they may receive. And that God will speak through you that changes their eternity. Let's not forget what the ending of that parable was of the talents given. The five multiplied, the two multiplied, and the one went and hid his talent. And the master came back and stripped him of his talent. Stripped him of what was given and gave it to somebody else. What God has uniquely given us, what not God is, how he's made us unique in a sense, the church is just like our worship team. It's just like teams that serve, but on a much larger scale. Jesus brings together unique and diverse people to whom he has given unique and diverse gifts in the church. And he blends all that diversity to create a unity that is beautiful. But if we're going to preserve that beautiful harmony, then each one of us must must exercise those gifts that Jesus has bestowed upon us in a great sovereignty. And when we do that, God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. Because we humble ourselves and we're willing to surrender to God to say, God, use me. Let me not take what you've blessed and given into my life and hide it but let me take what you've given me and transform somebody else's life worship team is going to come this morning we're going to continue in our worship i just want you to reflect this morning maybe just to begin to pray and begin to think say god what is it in my life what did you have me to do where do you want me to step up what are you calling me to do is it my work is it a church is it my community god how can i use what you've given me to bless others let's just do that this morning 